Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. Uh, We have the true delight of having Ralph Nader back on our airwaves here in New York. Ralph is really a household name. He has been in U.S. politics on the public policy side and others for many decades at this point and has run for president in the Green Party and has been in the face, you could say, of corporate power. He has been involved in so many different uh, initiatives and projects to bring awareness to the American public about what is going on in various domains, and he's known very largely as a consumer advocate. So when we have Ralph on, it's always a delight because he stands so much for the Hello? people themselves. Hello. Hi. Uh, Ralph, is that you? Uh, no, I'll connect him now. Hold on one second. Okay, great. Thanks. He'll be on with us in a moment. I'll continue the uh introduction here. So, as mentioned, uh, Ralph has been sort of uh, in the trenches on behalf of people. He is the founder of Public Citizen. He is the founder of uh, the Center for Responsive Law, going back to the late 60s. As mentioned, also Public Citizen in 1971. He has been a true advocate of people, and that was the basis also of his candidacy. Uh, in his running in independent parties for the office of President of the United States on several occasions. Ralph is also the author of numerous books, the last one of which is called Breaking Through Power, It's Easier Than We Think, which is a very interesting title. and It's very uh, encouraging that, in fact, it may well be that with our collective effort, we can break through a kind of power, corporate power, governmental slash political power, economic power, uh, in a way that uh, is just simpler and more direct than any of us might have supposed. Ralph, hi, welcome. Mitchell Rabin, welcome back to A Better World. Thank you. Okay, there you are. Sure, absolutely. I was just completing... um, a uh, an intro of you and a little bio, which would take too long, so I'm glad you're here. I was just mentioning the last book of yours, Breaking Through Power, which is uh, really seminal at this point in time when power, economic, multinational, political power, seems daunting. So why don't you lay out, if you would, uh, a few of the basic tenets of what you think our audience should know about when it comes to actions they can take and understanding the larger picture of what power is anyway and what our role in it is. Well, first, uh, for people to ask themselves what kind of changes they would like in this country. Would they like full Medicare for all, much more efficient, saves a lot of lives, free choice of doctor and hospital, or say living wage, Uh, and then the key question they often don't ask, even if they march and demonstrate, is, okay, we want this. What body in our government uh, can make it happen? Well, more often than not, the answer is the Congress. 
And that comes down to 535 men and women who put their shoes on every day like you and I. And Mm -hmm. often a lot of mobilization back home, Mitchell, misses that point. Look at Occupy Wall Street. It was all over the country, uh, got huge media, uh, but they didn't focus on Congress for a lot of their demands relating to inequality, which could start with a living wage and unfreezing Mm -hmm. a frozen minimum wage. So once they focus on the decision-making institution, then they go to work in the congressional districts. They prepare formal summons of their senator and representatives and then tell people back home, you know, you don't have to come to a neighborhood meeting and, and just with us. You can come and see a senator, uh, talk to a senator, tell a senator mm-hmm. what, what you want the senator to, to do. And you can formalize this in a, in a summons, which is written in the book, Breaking Through Power, It's Easier Than We Think. It's just a 140-page mm. uh, paperback. And, uh, yes. and then it gives a so lot of examples. Sense, you're, where, you're suggesting, Ralph, you're suggesting that people have a really kind of a direct conduit to power, and that's their Congress, their representatives, and in a sense holding their representatives to account, to listen to their constituents, to listen to the people, and take action therefrom, and not get caught in the lobbying uh, money issues that are always tempting them. Yeah, the most effective uh, citizen lobbies in the country don't mess around with big demonstrations and marches like NRA or APAC. They focus Mm -hmm. precisely on 535 people. And they have to Hmm. go back home. And, yeah, they want money from special interests for their campaign. Why? To get votes. So if the voters organize with laser beam focus and send the members back to Congress with their instructions, that nullifies a lot of the impact of money from Wall Street and elsewhere. It's very simple. We should have learned this, Mitchell, in uh, the sixth grade. In high school or junior high school, exactly. In civics class, right, Ralph? Really? Yeah, right. Well, Isn't there aren't true? any really true? civic classes. There, there is computer computer literacy courses, but yeah. not civic literacy courses. That's right. Exactly. Very true. You know, it's funny. Uh, many years ago, Ralph, I worked at Columbia Law School for a brief stint. And as I was watching what was going on, all of the young law students just can't wait to get into the corporate law offices and going for big bucks. There were very, very few that were actually interested in the public interest. Of course, you know, you're a beautiful exception. Um, But back then, this was uh, in the late 70s, say, um, I was really appalled by the emphasis on just the money-making powers of the law rather than the service powers. And I remember seeking to set up with the dean of the law school um, civics classes that would at least help people who never got past high school get some handle on their rights and on what they can also do as a responsible, you know, American citizen. So that's very much up the alley that you're speaking of here and speak that's of excellent. in the book. And by the way, you know, it's in our hands. Yeah. We'll stop making excuses for ourselves. We have the PTA, we have parents, we have people uh, who yes. are running these public schools. I think they they would like the students to be interested in civic activities because it relates to their yeah. daily lives it relates to their community their neighborhood they won't be bored you know teachers don't like students who are bored 
And, uh, That's right. And by, by the way, if your listeners are interested, a great speech. It was given by Professor Stephen Gillers, a law professor at NYU, uh, mm-hmm. before a synagogue in 2009 in New York City. And it's on corporate lawyers. And it was just reprinted by the Harvard Law Record newspaper. So if you go to hlrecord.org, hlrecord.org, the current issue, mm-hmm has that article. It also has a long article by me on lawlessness by the rich and powerful. Uh, Oh, uh, interesting subject, especially these days where we see lawlessness abound. What what are your comments about that? If we don't have that great access to standard media, of course, we've got a better world and there's Democracy Now! and PRN, you know, Gary Null and others. But, you know, we're small voices in comparison to the uh, ever powerful, you know, ones that control our main airwaves. What What can we say and what can we do about the lawlessness that we're watching all around us? Well, first of all, you get the facts on it. That's what I tried to put in my long article at go to hlrecord.org. It originally appeared in Lapham's Quarterly. Are you familiar with that? Lou Lapham? No, I'm not. Former editor of Harper's. Um, oh, and, yes, uh, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that gives you the material, the knowledge, uh, the facts. And then you confront, again, your senators and representatives, because they can do more about it than any other 535 people. And, and, <laughs> yes. Gonna, <laughs> uh, you know, Warren Buffett once said, hey, there are only 535 members of Congress. We're over 300 million. Why can't we control it? Good question. <laughs> it's because we're not doing our homework and exactly. we're not spending time on our civic duties. You ask people, how many people today, Mitch, met each other and said, how are you doing and uh, mm. what, why don't people mm-hmm. say, how's your civic life? How about that one? That's right. Hi, how's your civic That's life? Right. How's your civic <laughs> life? Right. Checked in Starts with it lately. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you do make a very interesting point at the very uh, front of your book on breaking through power. That's the subject of today's show, everyone. It's easier than we think. I love that name, Ralph. Where you say that there is a tendency historically, where you could say, you know, human psychologically, to give power to the few and the many just kind of succumbs and concedes. And you make reference, for instance, to the river gods back in uh, early days of the United States uh, around the rivers in Massachusetts that were being controlled by merchants and the farmers were sort of second fiddle. So when you regard everything that way, that there's this tendency for the 1%, we call them today, of course, to rise to the top and everyone to become subservient, how do you work with that personal self-image that it seems that the masses have? Well, you just ask people, what are your gripes? And they'll give you an earful, right? Uh, what, what are you, <laughs> True what are you, enough. Okay, and you say, do you want any power? So if 1% have this generic desire for power to control the 99%, how about 1% of the 99% wanting power for the people? Because we've shown yes. in this book, we're breaking through power, it's easier than we think, a lot of examples where far less than 1% of the people in congressional districts uh, focusing on auto safety, food safety, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the various changes, environmental improvements, um, 
they, they beat the biggest lobbies. Uh, why? Yes. They had three things going for them. One, they knew what they were talking about. Two, they had a majority of people uh, uh, supporting them. I mean, whether you're conservative or liberal family, you want your kids to grow up uh, drinking contaminated water and breathing toxic air? Of course not. Mm-hmm. And three, they focused on the decisional body, the Congress. They didn't just have yeah. a massive rally on a weekend leaving a lot of dirty cups and empty bottles mm-hmm. behind and, and, and all that yes. energy goes up to the ether. Yes. I'm really glad you're making that point because people feel this impulse to want to do something and I think that's a very healthy impulse. But what I like about what you're saying is direct it. Really use your energy and your impulse to correct the ills of our society in a very specific, useful and effective direction. That's right. what I they wanna, hear you they say over and again. Yeah, I say, do you want to be a super voter? I say, what? Super? What's a super voter? <laughs> I said, a super voter never has one issue when they're talking to a member of, of the Congress or the state legislature. Yeah. If you're a one-issue yeah. person, they know how to game you. But if you have seven, eight, nine issues, first of all, they say, oh, this person's really knowledgeable. I, I'm not going to be able to brush them off or sugarcoat it. And second, uh, you are more able to enlist other people. Because if you just have one issue and you have 50, 60 people in the neighborhood, uh, most of them may not be interested in your one issue. But if you have eight issues, uh, like in the healthcare, cracking down on consumer fraud, uh, dealing with living wage, uh, public transit, uh, making environments. Uh, yeah, making the environment, the schools, uh, et cetera, rebuilding yep. the public service, public works infrastructure. You get a lot yeah. more support. I just written a column for you won't believe this, Mitch, for Playboy. Oh, 50, really? <laughs> yeah. 50 year, wow. Playboy now is down to half a million people. They're, they're a different mm. kind of magazine. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the Internet took care of their uh, sexy portraits. They, oh, they can't God, compete yeah. with the Internet. Um, but anyway, sure. they yeah. interviewed me. So now they're doing ago. some serious journalism, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I just did. Want to be a super voter. Uh, and by the way, there are all kinds of assistance. There are blogs that show you how to put on a press conference, how to write a letter to a member of Congress that sticks. Uh, all mm-hmm. these things are the skills of civic engagement. Because a lot of times people say, hey, I like what you're saying. I want to have a better country. I want to have a better neighborhood, but I don't know how to do it. Well, you didn't learn in high school. You didn't learn in middle yeah. school. You didn't learn in college. But you can learn now. If you learn how to do bird watching, that's pretty complex, you know. <laughs> yeah. You can learn how to do Congress watching. That's right. That's right. It's such a good point, and I like the way you're framing it. You know, bird watching, Congress watching, and and the different layers and levels of complexity with each one. Um, watching Congress is not that difficult, really, unless you start to get into their kind of personal lives or how they make decisions, which is you know a little uh, it's peculiar. Easy. But that's another story. Yeah, Mitch, I tell people they do a Please. lot more difficult things in their daily life than watching Congress. They have to deal with raising children, illnesses, accidents, yes. paying the bills. This is uh, this is simple yeah. compared to what they do every day. They should not exaggerate their power to make change in this country. It takes less than one percent. A history of America shows that. You know, even the mass civil rights movement. 
Never had more than one percent of the people spending three to four or five hundred hours a year connecting with one another. Never. That's the biggest, you know, mass movement. Yeah, Yeah. we 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 have to simplify. And by the way, they say, oh, you got all these congressional rules and procedures. I said, you play Mm -hmm. video games? Yeah. I said, you play poker? Yeah. Well, you know how difficult some of these rules are. I mean, stop Mm. making excuses for yourself. Yes. Beautiful. I love it. You know, you're reminding me, Ralph, of uh, a colleague and friend of mine, Sam Daly Harris, who wrote, uh, I think it's Reclaiming Our Democracy. And in that, he also sort of following in your footsteps in large measure what you've been representing for 40, 50 years now um, is civil activity and civil uh, obligations, fulfilling them with a, like a, an A to Z how-to organize on local levels, how to go to the congressperson, et cetera, et cetera. So, All kinds you know, of good handbooks. All kinds exactly. Of There's a movement toward this. What are you finding in the work you're doing at the Center for Responsive Law and within Public Citizen? What is the responsiveness now to these organizations um, in the 21st century during the Trump era? It's not enough. I mean, they, they, the, the number of people who um, play video games are in the tens of millions. The number of people who play citizen justice games are in a few hundred thousand. But as I say, now just just give me 1% of the people in yes. the congressional district. Now, how much is that, people will say? Well, it's 2.5 million people. They'll say there's 2.5 2. Yes. million adults over 18. Okay, there's 2.5 million. Now, let's make it easier. Let's say one half of 1%, 1.25 million. You give me any mm-hmm. major issue, taxing Wall Street speculation, full Medicare for all, de-bloating the military budget, stopping empire, which boomerangs against us and drains our public budgets that can be used to help children and rebuild our schools and w- drinking water systems and public transit. Give me any issue. And if mm-hmm. you have one point Two five million people organized in 435 congressional districts with a couple offices with four people full-time. Piece of change. Nothing nothing difficult. You can defeat all these corporate lobbies swarming over Capitol Hill. Isn't that interesting? Well, your organ I mean, public citizen and, you know, um, the public interest work that you have done and, you know, Nader's Raiders, for crying out loud, going back so long. You've been involved in exactly these kinds of initiatives and leading them. How would you, I mean, of course, we know you so well for the consumer advocacy work that you have done. How would you rate what you've done and the effectiveness over time? Well, I've, whatever I've done is because a few people in congressional districts have joined with me because we don't have money to influence members of Congress. We have facts, we have knowledge, uh, and we're not getting the cooperation in the last 30 years from the mass media, including public uh, broadcast system, PBS and NPR, really. uh, uh, They get a few corporate liberals on and they think they've done their duty. They don't get progressives on who are working all over the country. You know, we had this greatest... uh, uh, convention of civic leaders on more issues and reforms in American history at Constitutional Hall in Washington, D.C. in May and September. And the, the, the mass media, including PBS and NPR, blacked it out. 
162 presenters, people who have actually changed oh, America my. for the best in nutrition and auto safety, etc. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? So, no. we, so what's the analysis? We own the public airways. That's Why right. are we the landlords being forced by a indentured Congress, uh, giving it away 24 hours a day on TV and radio to the radio and TV stations? They don't pay any rent to us landlords, so we got to say. People say, "Oh, yeah, I say, I guess we do own the public airways." Well, exercise your rights of ownership. Tell Congress we, you want three, four hours a day back into audience networks where you. Yes. Put on TV and radio, local and nationally, what you think uh, needs to be done. No taboos, no advertisers, censoring. You see, people have just got to spend a little time waking up to their power. You've got to start with we the people in the Constitution. It didn't say we the Congress, we the corporation, right? It says we the people. It doesn't even mention corporation or political parties in the Congress. Why are they ruling us? Because they've usurped us, because they've taken advantage of our civic laziness, uh, of our making excuses as to why we cannot ride herd on state legislators and members of Congress. Yes, it's very true. And I'm glad you mentioned that and called out NPR, because I am am a a regular listener to WNYC, among other stations, Pacific Radio, Pacifica, etc., and PRN. But I am shocked at how conservative they are, the American Enterprise Institute, and they do not go over to the Green Party ever, just as an example. Just yeah, that's never. Right. And I and people just don't get it that how they, well, they, they are what? being programmed. That's it. They gotta raise their Please. expectations and their demand levels. You remember Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, uh sure. black abolitionist, right? A freed mm-hmm. slave. His his great his great comment: Power concedes nothing without a demand. Never did, mm. and never will. Start making demands. I mean, for example, you're listening to Meet the Press, right? Or you're watching Meet the Press yes. on Sunday with Chuck Todd. How come he keeps yes. having people from the American Enterprise Institute on the roundtable? What about yes. uh, Public Citizen? What about Common Cause? That's what about right. uh, Nation Magazine? You That's see, right. it's because we take it for granted we take it that we're powerless that we can't do anything about it nonsense absolutely it takes that rising up and you are you know particularly excellent in blowing the whistle on this score to americans to wake up are you going to run for president again no because first of all i've proved the point that this isn't a, a electoral democracy first you have the absurdity of the electoral college taking the popular vote winner uh, election away yes. from uh, in 2000-2016. I mean, what other country Correct. where you can win the popular vote and lose the office? Ridiculous. That's right. The second thing is they blocked out third parties in all kinds of ways. They harassed them. Completely. Huge ballot access obstacles keep them off the base. We've documented all of this. And now yes. it's up. And now it's up for the American people. I mean, do they want more voices and choices on the ballot, or do you want Tweedledum, Tweedledee? Do they want Pepsi yes. and Coca-Cola, or do they want uh, <laughs> uh, good uh, uh, natural orange juice and cranberry yes. juice? So that's that's they have to make those uh, demands. You know, the, the two-party duopoly mentality 
Mitch, it goes all the way to Scholastic Magazine. You know that magazine that is millions of copies yeah. are distributed in middle school? Mm-hmm. Well, they try mm-hmm. to get the kids interested in the presidential elections every four years. Mm-hmm. They just have two pictures, the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee. So right so from sad. the beginning, people are, are, are learning that there's an inevitability to the two-party duopoly, yes. which dials in for fact, the same commercial dollars. That's right. So, in fact, Ralph, when you were on A Better World Radio, the last time was when our uh, friend and colleague Rocky Anderson was running for a third party, uh, the Justice Party, for president in 2012. And uh, you were on with, uh, at that time, Representative Dennis Kucinich. And, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard, who was the first female um, vice presidential candidate in U.S. history, going back, I think, to the 60s, frankly. And, um, you know, so here we are, you, myself, Dennis, and others, who are always championing a third party, and it always gets blacked out, as you said, by the conventional media. Yet, as you keep mentioning and you talk about also in your book, uh, you know, breaking through power is that we're the ones who own the their waves. Yet it's like they've run away with our our assets, and uh, people don't even know it to even start to claim it. Well, well let me give you an example. Get this uh, let me give you an example. Yeah, let me give Please. an example when people stay home and give up on themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. I come from a town in Connecticut. They just lost their uh, clean newspaper. Well, it was actually part of the Lakeville Journal, but they had a couple pages on Winston. So we're talking mm-hmm. to people in Winston, 11,000 people, uh, about starting their own newspaper, you know, once a week. No big deal. And uh, mm-hmm. to subscribe, uh, it, it would take like 5,000 subscriptions at about 60 bucks, which is basically uh, one Dunkin' Donuts coffee every 10 days. Now, there are two Dunkin' Donuts stores in in the town, and you never can go by those stores without seeing cars lined up for coffee and donuts and whatever, right? So this town can have its own paper. I mean, how can you have local democracy to find out what's going on in city halls, citizen groups, clam bakes, you know, births, weddings, et cetera, Uh, letters to the editor, uh, op-eds, okay? So it's it's no-brainer can't even do that. In other words, the people are not willing, maybe 300 of them are, the people are not willing to spend the equivalent of 30 coffee cups from Dunkin' Donuts to get this newspaper delivered to them at the door once a week. So don't tell me about the oligarchy and the plutocracy. They're all there, right? But who gives them the juice? We give them the juice every time... We don't stand up and shout out and demand and participate and engage and take the we, the people, reins over our lawmakers. How true. It's so good that you're making this point. In fact, even on MSNBC as recently as a night ago, uh, one of the members, Democratic members of the uh, House uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, was saying that we and here it is on public, you know, cable television that uh, we listen when we're not pushed in a certain direction as members of Congress, 
we basically go the way we want to go. However, when we are pushed by our constituency, he was saying this to, I don't know if it was uh, Chris Hayes or one of these uh, interviewers, uh, when we are pushed by our constituency, when they speak up, we listen. And it was so refreshing, Ralph, to hear that on national uh, television. He was really giving us the answer. He was inviting us, just like Obama did, make me do it when he said that. It was a great yeah, moment, but, I but, felt. But, but most of them don't mean it. Because if the people summoned them to a town meeting organized by the voters back home, yes. not the town meetings choreographed by the senator representative, Mm-hmm. It's it's like pulling teeth to have them, to have them come, even if you have four or five hundred people uh, on the petition. Uh, they want to now yeah. have telephone town meetings. Most of these really? members of Congress, because some people are showing up and demanding things, they don't want to face them person to person. They want to have telephone town meetings. Who was the member of Congress who said this? Uh, Mark Warren, was it? Is that his name? Mark Warren. I'm just going by... Uh... Vague yeah. memory of the other day. I was more. Li- yeah, is that is that a Democratic uh, congressman? Maybe from uh, Pennsylvania. Maybe. Maybe yeah. I don't. But have the facts again, right. the way to test it is to say, okay, you want to be, you, you want to come to a town meeting organized by the people with their own agenda. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's exactly. They have to be tested and called to task for sure and many of them are as you're indicating are are really very scared to do it because they don't want to hear what the people have to say they want to do their own personal bidding and it's not legit uh let me ask you uh about gerrymandering because that's another very manipulative part of our democracy and i'm wondering if it's democratic at all do you know about the history and uh, where we are with it now and what can we do, yeah, maybe comes, even on uh, the level of the Supreme Court at this point. It started in the early 19th century in Massachusetts, carving up districts. Now with computers, they have incredible precision where they can basically have a minority of voters have a, a majority of members of Congress, like in Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah. now the Supreme Court is about to make a decision, which I think is going to restrict gerrymandering. Uh, they've already decided that the Pennsylvania gerrymandered was politically partisan, so they got to redraw yeah. the districts. And But a big voting turnout, instead of 50% or 30% turnout, uh, can overcome the gerrymandering uh, mm-hmm. in, in many of these uh, districts. And uh, I think states are starting to come around. The California got rid of gerrymandering. They do now nonpartisan uh, commissions that, that, uh, oh, that mark so? up the district. Ah, I think we're, tur- I think we're turning the corner, but huge damage is done in 2010 when the Republicans, uh, out, out energized the Democrats and won some house mm-hmm. seats at the state level, which the state yes. legislature is the one that draws Texas, the district. Yeah. And they, and they others. turned, they turned the, the Congress over. I mean, they, they, they won the Congress in 2010, uh, against Obama and the Democrats in the House, and then won mm-hmm. the Senate in 2014. So, listen, I don't want to I don't want to underestimate gerrymandering, but let's not make that excuse to stay home and give up and be cynical and withdraw. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. In fact, we might have to just move to another zip code. Who knows? Right. <laughs> you know? I got to go now, <laughs> sure. Mitch. All right, Ralph, thank you so much for joining today. We'll want to have you back on again sometime soon. And thanks for your excellent work in this book, Breaking Through Power, 
it's easier than we think. Thanks Thank so you much, very Ralph. much, Mitch. Thank your listeners, and A thanks pleasure. for making them think. Bye-bye now. Absolutely. Thank you now. Ralph Nader, such a national hero, and um, we're grateful for the good work that he has done and continues to do. It's There are people that you could say are at it every single day, doing what they can to provide public service, public education, and awaken, as he so well put it, the American mind and heart to get into action and take back our democracy because through simple neglect, it's sort of a default position that people just uh, kind of concede to, default to, uh, we're losing our democracy. And as that great quote he mentioned of Frederick Douglass, that uh, those in power will never concede it. It's only when there's a demand on it that things will change. And as we say so often here at A Better World, we are the ones that need to be uh, making those demands. We are the ones that we've been looking for, so to speak. And it requires, in every country, and I know we have people listening from all over the world, and it happens that uh, what we're doing in the United States sort of sets an example. There's something about the uh, overall ethos of the United States on the global stage where it really matters to everyone what we do here and whether we think that is fair and just or not uh, and there are some good questions to ask about that nonetheless there is that structure or setup I should say uh, that exists so when we manage our democracy well then it sets an example for others to do same. So I consider the work that Ralph Nader has been doing and all of his groups, the Center for Responsive Law, Public Citizen, these have been known for decades as, as playing very active roles in helping to change and influence the American mind and, uh, and citizen action. That's really what they're about. And, you know, when people at the end of the day look at their lives, I mean, don't we all want to say, what is it that I did to make a better world? What did I do to increase the value of, of our democracy or our living conditions? Well, you know the answer to that. Everybody has a very natural inclination to that. And it's not by mistake. I have so often talked about neuroscience and neurobiology here on this show, and there's an actual biological impetus to care for our own, our own species, as well as the species of others. And if we abdicate that just for the so-called unconscious norms of society, we're going to lose a lot of that very important, I'll put it this way, biological edge that we all need. It can get dumbed down. It can get numb. You know, it can be blunted if it's not utilized. So this is why I so uh, often have referred to Ralph Nader and his work and his organizations that he founded over the course of, honestly, at this point, the last 50 years he's been at this. And uh, 
just one of those unstoppable, which is the name of one of his books, unstoppable men who is a real leader. And we need to see that in the public sphere. What we see now is, oh, it's just so pathetic and sad. We see just no sense of ethics, very little sense of morality, and uh, very little integrity. And just say proper use of language where we are thinking about the young ones, the youth of our society who will become the leaders, and for them to hear the kind of language, the kind of insult, uh, etc. that goes on day by day, the tweeting and all of that, insulting people on the left, on the right, in the middle, uh, world leaders, it, it just, it, what kind of world is this? So just to reiterate the point, making a big deal of our views in the public sphere is what Ralph is so much about and urging us toward, which is why I wanted to have him on our show again, because he is such a vocal and articulate spokesperson for these fundamental ideas that can help to generate the kind of democracy we all want. We feel it in our bones that we want to be heard. So why is it that we limit what we speak and or we limit it to just the, the silly um, kinds of stuff that goes on? In fact, I'm going to actually read a small passage from Ralph's book, Breaking Through Power, it's easier than we think because it highlights some of the uh, reprioritization that we really know need. Here, I'm starting with, and I quote, I'm staring with utter disbelief at the colorful cover of the July 20th, 2014 edition of Parade Magazine, a publication inserted in your Sunday newspapers that has a circulation of millions. There, staring back at me is a cat named Mulapan from Minneapolis. This major feature article is about whether dogs dream or if cats can catch cold. Inside, I am afflicted with envy. Sockington, a cat rescued from a Boston subway, has 1.3 million Twitter followers. That's right, 1.3 billion. I don't recall any parade covers featuring people who have who save children's lives from here, who I'm sorry, who save children's lives here or in developing countries. One such person was James Grant, a lawyer by profession who headed UNICEF and personally persuaded dictators all over the world to follow measures for disease prevention or food distribution in order to save young children's lives. End quote. You know, I wonder how many Twitter followers he has. Why isn't that kind of brilliant, humane, humanitarian type of action being championed and being lauded in our newspapers and in our media is, of course, what Ralph is saying here. And, of course, it would be the envy of all of us to have 1.3 million Twitter you know, fans and followers. But this 
down kind of environment in which we currently live, where there is much too much emphasis on materialism and consumerism and not enough on the public welfare, on the commons, on that which brings us together as human beings living in civil society and seeking to be of service to each other because it's fun, because there is, as I described before, a literal, biological, not to mention psychological, impulse to do so. So that's what we're looking at, folks, and I'm just so grateful to Ralph for uh, spending a little time with us today and talking about his book, latest book, I should say, Breaking Through Power, It's Easier Than We Think. So I want to thank all of you for listening in and being part of a better world community and family, whether it's here in the United States, Canada, UK, India, Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, where we have people listening. And it's just a, a real pleasure to be able to reach you all. And I want to really urge you to go to our website, abetterworld.tv, and uh, Pick up this interview, pick up the link and forward it to others who you feel need to uh, hear it and feel inspired by listening to it because this is where we can make a difference. Uh, one question that I did not get a chance this time to ask Ralph but will do so again is about a prioritization in his mind, in his seasoned experience of the issues facing us as a humanity and as a planet. Quite honestly, uh, I know I have somewhat of my own for sure, and really climate change is at the top. And, uh, of course, issues of justice regarding immigration and violence and nonviolence and war and peace are uppermost as well. But destruction of our literal environment, the heavy exploitation of resources, which are just nature's abundant gift to us all, and the way that leads to a geopolitical division, and therefore a militarism that is just reigning across the planet, largely promulgated by, yes, we here in the United States. And it's enough to make any somewhat sensitive person cry because we're watching the destruction of our beautiful, beautiful mother nature and for what? Just for what? As another one of my favorite, favorite mentors and friends, uh, Hazel Henderson, reminds us all of why should we be bothering to dig for oil at great expense when Photons are freely given from our sun every single moment. So when we really can digest that paradox, we'll begin to turn a corner and do the right things, including, as Ralph urges us, to become civil leaders in our own towns, in our own villages, in our own cities, states, and countries. 
So on that note, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to remind you that we are a nonprofit, 501c3. We so appreciate your donations. It helps to sustain us on the airwaves, on our community public access TV show, aired every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen through our website at www.abetterworld.tv where you can also sign up for our newsletter. So thanks again for joining. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thank you again, Ralph Nader, for all of the good work that you do. And I'd love for you to run for president again. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.